Do you think whiskey doesn't change as it opens? I do to a degree until he said, it was like, it's all in your head. I was like, oh, shit, what if it is all in my head? Yeah, it made right? you think about it, right? And that's what I was like, all right, well, I need to get two bottles, open one up, kill half of it, and then let it sit. Sit. Yeah. Like, don't even touch it for a year. Oh, so I think what happens is, is like when a, when a whiskey sits in a barrel, alcohol, oil, and water all have different masses. They're slightly different. They're not, they're not huge difference. So it takes a while. Mm-hmm. But as you roll that barrel down, it goes through the micron screen filtration and it gets air injected into a bottle and then it immediately gets gets corked. Yeah. And when you do that, it puts pressure on the inside of the bottle. It won't allow it to separate. So when you release it, that air pressure allowing it in there takes the pressure off the liquid on the inside of the bottle and lets it separate back into layers again. And I'd be willing to bet money that's exactly what happens. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. And before we kick off today's show, we've got some news per usual to always go through and one that we have to keep at top of mind, and that is Bourbon and Beyond. Make sure you go and start buying your tickets. Bourbon and Beyond is going to be taking place in Louisville, Kentucky, September 22nd and 23rd. One of the great things that we have about being a part of Bourbon and Beyond this year is Well, we're going to be having two of the workshops ourselves that are going to be featuring Larry Rice. We're going to have uh, Danny Wimmer, the founder of Bourbon and Beyond, Drew Colesmean of Willett, people from Maker's Mark. We've also got Marianne Barnes, uh, Josh Quinn from Boone County, Smooth Amblers, John Foster. They're all going to be a part of our seminar. So you should definitely be there to check them out. These are ones that uh, unfortunately we can't record. They're going to just be happening there. So you've got to be there to be a part of it. Um, there's not only that, you've got a lot of other big names in rock. You've got John Mayer, Cheryl Crow, Robert Plants, uh, Lenny Kravitz. I mean, you name it. There's a ton of, ton of people there. You can go to Bourbon Beyond and check out the bands. But if you want to buy tickets, make sure you go to our website, bourbonpursuit.com. Scroll down, look for the banner, click on that one to go buy your tickets. I swear we get no kickbacks. It's just a way that we can prove that we're helping driving a little bit of traffic that is coming to Bourbon and Beyond. So make sure you go get our tickets there. We will be doing a giveaway in upcoming months. We have two different giveaways. We have, of course, a just a regular general admission, but we're also kind of big timing, right? We've got a mint VIP package giveaway. So look for that here um, probably in the upcoming months. It's not going to be anytime soon, but if you're worried about it selling out, you should probably just go ahead and buy it now. They are already halfway sold through tickets, so start making those plans. Now, today's show, everybody really knows about Ed Bly at this point. He is a great friend of the show, and it's always fun to catch up with him. And on this episode, it was done after the second release of Old Baldy, which is a private label that is coming from, uh, it's his blend that's coming out of his store in Cor- uh, Cork and Bottle up in Northern Kentucky. And this really sort of caught the, the internet bourbon you know, community by storm. And it's been relentless as one of the most anticipated releases of having, you know, hundreds of people lining up the day before to go and get this. And really, we're not going to talk about a lot about, you know, we're going to talk, talk about Old Baldy a little bit, but really the show is going to be focused on the art of blending. And this is coming from a guy that knows how to pick single barrels, but he really humbles himself as we talk about large scale blending that takes place at all the distilleries, how you have that consistent flavor profile of Buffalo Trace, so that consistent flavor profile of um, you know, Wild Turkey 101, whatever it is, right? That's always something that, um, you know, it takes a lot of, lot of real skill to make that happen. And the people, you know, they might not get a lot of that recognition that they really deserve, but you're a loyal listener of this show. So you know that we've had a few master blenders on the show before. Now, as usual, please make sure you support the podcast, patreon.com slash burnpursuit. We've got bottle totes, patches, t-shirts, barrel picks, all this other kind of cool stuff coming. Uh, Make sure you're also subscribing on all our social media channels. So Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so you can see what we're drinking, interact with us, engage with us, tag us in your Instagram posts, whatever it is, we'll like it in return. But also make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, YouTube, or Facebook, or wherever you get your podcast. And as usual, if you want to get all the new podcasts beam straight to your inbox, go to burnpursuit.com, subscribe to us on our emailing list, and you can get them from there. Beam straight to you every morning, Thursday morning, 7 a.m. All right, sound good? With that, I want to say thank you again for listening. 
Make sure you are subscribing and enjoy this week's episode. Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com. And you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. And they're off for another Get 270 2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at give270.org. Charitable gaming license ORG 0002703. Do you ever pour yourself a bourbon, swirl it around, and then start struggling to come up with tasting notes? And perhaps you're also looking for a good Father's Day gift idea. Well, you can now solve both with a kit from Nose Your Bourbon. And unlike other nosing kits on the market, Nose Your Bourbon kits feature real ingredients for the most authentic aromas. You can smell real Tahitian vanilla bean instead of some synthetic aroma that's just made from chemicals. So head on over to NoseYourBourbon.com and enter code BP10 for 10% off your order. Welcome back to the episode of the Bourbon Pursuit Podcast, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny here in Northern Kentucky, sitting with a friend of the show that's been on plenty of times. But before we get into it, I want to talk a little bit about the subject of the show. So when we, we look at the type of people that we've had on the show before, we've had Nancy Fraley, we've had um, Drew from Buffalo Trace, we've had all these master blenders on, and, and it's really an art when we look at it, right? We have a the science, which is a distillation side, the art, which is the blending side, or maybe it's art, it's artistic creation, it's a way to kind of meld and, and push all these together. And today is going to be no exception to that because it's it's some coming from somebody that is uh, sort of made himself really well known in the underground world that is starting to get a little bit more traction into a lot of the more mainstream bourbon uh, pieces of it. I remember uh, I was recording a podcast not too long ago and somebody sent a message that said, oh, can I get this bottle somewhere in the middle of Oklahoma? And they're like, no, there was, I don't even know what you're talking about, right? This was uh, this was something that was pretty interesting. And so today's podcast is really going to be looking at, as I said, the art of blending and really kind of what goes into it when you're really starting to kind of first delve into it. What are the things you have to learn? What are the things you're getting into? Um, can you even do it as a, as a person that just collects bourbon in their house and wants to try blending stuff together? I think we're going to touch on all those topics. So Ryan's not going to be worth here today, but I'm going to try to do this by myself. But I've got a good friend of the show that everybody's uh, heard of before. Um, he's been on quite a few times. We had a, a, a Russell's Reserve barrel pick with him. And we've always talked about the difference in pricing of retail versus secondary markets. So Ed Bly, welcome back to the show. Thank you very much, Kenny. It's good to be back on. So this is, um, let's, I mean, we can just go ahead and put it out there, right? Like Old Baldy was your thing. Um, so kind of talk about what was the idea of even starting Old Baldy? Like what, why did you even want to do it? Old Baldy was an interesting situation. So uh, I went down to go do a private barrel selection down with Jeff Mattingly. And I, I enjoy working with the smaller guys in industry 
because they give you a lot of leeway and flexibility. So when I went down there and I, I met with Jeff, I was tasting some barrels, and it was honestly right after uh, Mr. Little had come out with his American whiskey blend that we did the first batch of it. And I talked to Jeff a little bit about it, and I said, you know, I want to do something a little different. And the great thing about dealing with these small guys is they're willing to work with you. They're hungry. They want to earn your business. Where it's like if dealing with the big guys like uh, Wild Turkey, nothing against them at all, or Buffalo Trace, again, nothing against them at all. They don't have time to deal with extra special requests. Yeah, I mean, you look at the how much they have to go through for bottling, for labeling, for everything right. like that. It's it's not it's no. It, I mean, they they basically have their process down, right? I mean, I think we went on the Russell's Reserve barrel pick, and I've been on one since then, and we're like, can we get a barrel proof? Like it tasted so good, barrel proof, and they're like. I don't know, maybe in a year, like it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen now. I can tell you that. Right. (laughs) And, uh, and so it's, it's one of those things that, yeah, they can, they can try to promise to the world, but they can't really do anything about it because they do have these corporate overlords that sort of look over. hundred percent. I mean, you you got a lot of people you got to answer to, and the more people that are involved, the more chance for a no. Where like with Jeff or, you know, even MB Roland or the smaller guys, they'll give you a lot of flexibility that you normally won't find in the market. And that flexibility is what really gives guys like us a chance to really spread our wings and do our own thing. Now, I mean, when you look at it, is there, are, do they have the same exact kind of stocks or the, the type of uh, whiskey that is comparable? Or are you thinking that what you're coming up with here is something that's got to be, it's got to be net new. Like you, you're not going to come out with just another single barrel that is sourced from somewhere that is whatever, right? Well, I, th- I think, I think that there's a lot of leeway to make it your own. When you're dealing with an NDP in particular, I've yet to have an NDP that tastes like, let's say, another NDP. Even, let's say, MGP, for example. Just because it was made at MGP doesn't mean it's going to taste like every other MGP product that's out there. And those that say it does, I completely disagree with. There's a huge difference between Smooth Ambler and, say, like Boone County or or even uh, New Riff over with the, their OKI line. The whiskeys are all made at the same place, but they taste completely different. Are they buying their stocks from the same warehouse or are they taking them from, you know, I don't they're, think it's they're all buying it from the same lot and then aging them in different places? I yeah. mean, what, what do you think contributes to that? Well, I think that there a lot more goes into whiskey than just the distillate. I think your aging location, it, as far as to what part of the Rick House it's in or what Rick House altogether it's in, makes a huge difference. Turkey is a prime example of that. If you look at Turkey's past runs of their private barrels, you've had G, you've had H, you'd have K, you'd have M, and even T a little while back. All of them are completely different whiskeys. They produce different flavors, even though it's all from the same white dog. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Every single thing you do to whiskey changes it. Everything. <laughs> so let's let's kind of get back to the blending portion of yeah. it, right? So, so you show up there and you say, "I I've got an idea. I, I want to do something different. I want to make a blend." What was that? What was that conversation originally like? Jeff is. I hit it off real well with Jeff. I I go down there to make a friend first and look at whiskey second. You never know how you're going to help that person in their future. They're going to turn around and help you in your future. It doesn't matter. It's all about the people. When it comes down to drinking whiskey or even picking whiskey, I go down and I meet the people first. And then once I've made a friend, then we'll talk about some things. And if he's open to him, great. And if not, that's fine, too. You know, you get a lot of no's in this business before you ever get a yes. That's mm-hmm. for sure. But I started talking to him a little bit about, you know, I was playing with him. And I let him try a blend I was just playing with down there. He says, what is this? I said, it's your whiskey. He says, what do you mean it's my whiskey? I said, I just blended a few of them together that I really enjoyed and played with the ratios on it. And I just came up with something I was just playing around with. I mean, this is all in a glass. Mm-hmm. It's not even a bottle. He goes, how'd you do that? Oh, I, I took a spoonful of this yeah. one, a spoonful of this one. But he was blown away. And so he's like, he was a lot more open to the idea of doing something a little different. And so after we got to that point, I, I'm, I talked to him a little bit about the label. I said, what would you think about letting me do my own label? There hasn't been one like that done for a long time. The last ones I saw were with the Twisted Spoke and the Blue Smoke and, and you know, the epic ones. But it'd be kind of cool to be able to design my own label. And he goes, okay. 
Mm-hmm. And then, then they picked me up off the floor. Isn't it, funny? <laughs> Isn't it funny how sometimes you get that first okay and you're like, I didn't realize it was going to be that easy. Right, right. <laughs> and you, you're going through and you're going, did he just say that? Hold on a minute. Replay. You know, like, <laughs> and I was floored. So they picked me up off the floor and then I made an appointment and we came down and that's how Baldy Batch 1 came to be. Well, let's, let's rewind a little bit. So yeah. as you're sitting there and you're blending stuff together, like – I mean, did you did you just go off on the side and just start picking things away and like what was? Well, Jeff has a totally different experience down there. He lets people try stuff straight from the barrel in his gift shop. He's a small place, so he's trying to do things a little different than the bigger boys are. You're not going to go and be able to drill into a Buffalo Trace Weller barrel and pull out a bottle. Right. I think I can hear Brendan laughing all the way down here <laughs> at that suggestion, but I don't blame him. <laughs> you know, I get it. I get it. It's a whole different scale, but. When you're dealing with the smaller guys, again, you get a lot of flexibility. It, it never hurts to ask. Mm-hmm. And you'd be shocked at some of the responses you get. You know? And so I guess during that initial testing phase or whatever it was, like what barrels were you touching that you're like, okay, I can put these together and it's, it's making something? So when I started blending, I wasn't looking for whole barrels to, to blend. I was looking for things that stood out a little differently to, to try to meld the flavors together. So if I found a barrel that had a real strong nose and a real strong mid palate, but the finish wasn't all there or vice versa, or one of the three major parts wasn't there, I worked on combining them with another whiskey that showcased that part it was missing. The whole idea was to complete, a, a, to blend a completed product, mm-hmm. a, an exceptional completed product. And by putting the pieces together like a puzzle, the end result was a beautiful picture. It, it turned out great. So I, I'm still going to stick with like the idea of doing the blend, right? Because you're a, you're a guy that's fairly well known for doing some good single barrel picks, right? Sir. You're pretty, know, pretty well known for that. Have you been blending stuff at home or trying stuff out before this? And you said like, I, I got a knack for this maybe? like what? No, I wanted to test myself more than anything. I wanted to see if I could do it. It's hard. And, you know, people that sit at home and, and play around with finished whiskeys where they mix a couple finished whiskeys together or create an infinity bottle or whatever it is they do, they're blending finished products. I'm trying to create a product that'll be new, that'll be different, that'll be finished, mm-hmm. not taking already finished products and mixing them together. It's a whole other way of thinking. Blending is nothing more than controlling the variables. All you're doing is controlling every piece of the puzzle you can get your hands on and keep control of to create a finished product. You're looking for the outcome. So you're pulling all the resources together to make sure that nothing else goes out of your control to try to have control over the finished product. It's a completely different process than like going to Buffalo Trace and blending. Those guys are blending 40,000 bottles. We're talking a lot of gallons of whiskey, Mm -hmm. a lot. They're going to pull samples off a rack. And then they'll take the entire rack under the assumption that every barrel's the same. Well, you and I both know by picking barrels that that's not even remotely close to true. Two barrels next to each other in a rickhouse will produce completely different results, even though they're off the same run of white dog. Your barrel has a ton of influence. They don't have as much control over it as I do picking six barrels. I can keep control of everything. So it gives me a lot of control over the finished product. It's all controlling the variables, 100%. So let's talk about what are those variables? Like if, if somebody is, if somebody wants to experiment on their own, right? I mean, I know you said that it's not the same as doing with a finished whiskey, but I mean, let's say, let's say you want to try to do it at home and you've got, you've got a few barrel proofs, you've got a few light whiskeys, you got something bottled up out of the middle, maybe you got a rye, maybe you got a corn. Yeah. Like what's, what, what are those variables that you're necessarily looking at when you're going through? When I'm going to blend, I'm looking at how long the product's going to marry together, what ratio of the products are going into it together, and I'm also making sure I pull it at the right time to bottle it. You can stop the marrying process with the pressure from the corks in the bottle. So after it's bottled, it stops changing. But while it's in a tank with oxygen and no pressure on it, it's constantly changing and evolving. I've noticed that. I let mine, I let Baldy mingle for three, almost four weeks before we bottled it. Mm-hmm. And what's amazing is, is that the beginning blend is absolutely nothing like the finished product, which is kind of neat that we talked about this because I actually brought you in some samples to show you. Yeah. So I pulled a bottle during the blending process that was blended real early. I blended, I pulled one that was done right before filtration and one after filtration, obviously, that you'll be able to try and see the differences during the marrying process. It will shock you how different each one of them is. It's completely different whiskey. So what is what did you actually, you know, before I start tasting and trying all these, yeah. I mean, what, what was it that— I mean, you said it shocked you, but I mean, did you expect that or did you anticipate that to happen? Did Jeff kind of, you know, guide you a little bit and say, like, this is not going to be the same whiskey at the end of this? Um, No, I kind of figured it out as I went. I mean, a lot of it's common sense stuff. 
If you put it back in a barrel, you've lost control of your blend because the oak then has an influence on the finished product you can't predict. When you're blending a, fi- and you're blending a product and you're blending it in a tank, for instance, and we'll get to the tank part because I wanted to talk to you about that. <laughs> but when you're blending a product together and you put it in a tank, it doesn't have the oak then pushing in the product and absorbing the product and pushing it back out. None of the marrying process, none of the aging process. The oxygen level in the tank will have an influence, though. I learned this the first time. The first batch of Baldy was, what, 50, almost 60 gallons, right? Mm-hmm. The second batch was 200. Well, in a 250-gallon tank, that's a lot of difference in airspace. So the overall influence changed the final product on the whiskey. You have to have a lot of faith in what you're doing from the start to have a good end result. It's because you really don't have an idea of what it's going to be like until it's done. I mean, did you did you at one point think like, I mean, shit, we could have we could have just thrown away a couple grand on some barrels that aren't going to be good at the it's end of scary. this. It's yeah. scary. I mean, we're not talking a couple grand. Yeah, we're talking close to six figures. Mm-hmm. And you got that sitting in a tank, and that tank takes a turn you're not expecting. It's an oh crap moment. Right. I had that happen on the second batch. Mm-hmm. It took a t- it took a turn in marrying that I wasn't expecting, and the mid palate spice fell off. And you'll notice the mid palate spice on the final final product. I had to tweak it with a little more eleven year to get that mid-palate spice back. I tried to take batch one, and I saw a couple of the flaws that I personally saw with number one. Um, the mid-palate kind of falls off on one and then picks back up as you swallow. So instead of being a traditional witch's hat, if you will, where you enter in your mouth, it hits you with that spice note, and then it slowly starts to fade off again, it went where it had, it hit you on the mid, it fell off immediately, and then you swallowed and it picked back up again and then fell off. So I tried to get the traditional witch's hat back, if you will, where I tried to get that mid-palate, the center spice content, to be balanced all the way through. It's hard when you're blending because you're looking for small differences that are going to mean the difference. Mm -hmm. But it all starts with the barrels you select. We went through 46 barrels on this batch to pick the six we were going to blend. That's a lot of a lot of whiskey barrels. I was gonna say, and it didn't happen over the span of one day either, right? I mean, it's a lot. Okay, because yeah. well, you know we've had other blenders on before, and you know they've, uh, I've, you know they they they're very adamant. They're like, yeah, we don't we don't drink, right? We no. taste it and spit it. No, right? there's no. I the only time I swallow anything is to check the finish on it. So when I'm blending during the day, I can go through multiple, multiple, multiple barrels without a buzz. I kind of, I mean, you kind of develop that talent when you're picking barrels. And I, I know a lot of the guys that'll be listening to this can relate to that. You don't have to go in there and have a party to pick a good barrel. In fact, you don't want to. You don't want to wreck your palate. You want to make sure you do the best thing you can for your customers, mm-hmm. uh, whether that be in a private group or in a store. You know, it's always quality first. So when I'm tasting this, like, give me some ideas of, of what's in the blend when you were first going through. And like you, you said, you looked at 46, 48 barrels, whatever it yeah. was. How did you start narrowing it down from that point? I mean, did you, were you picking honey barrels that you, you know, quote unquote honey, or did you say like, this one's got, it's going to fill this void for this particular variable? Like, That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the whole picture, the whole picture of the puzzle. So I need pieces to be able to make the picture. So I'm looking for rock stars on certain portions of barrels, whether it be nose, mid palate, or finish. And I'm looking for a decent flavor the whole way through. But what I'm really looking for is to be able to balance the whiskey all the way through. So I'm really focusing on barrels that excel in certain parts to be able to elevate all the rest of them. You're blending out problems. You're not blending in finished problem. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard. It's it's really is. It's just a big puzzle you're putting pieces together for. So when you were going and just beginning this journey, was there anybody that kind of guided you, or, or was it just you, like just thinking like I'll I'll just experiment and see what happens? Like because this is no, it's nothing that's a and like I said, I mean don't be wrong. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of people that do infinity bottles. Um, you know, there's a there's a guy out in California that does a, a very good blend that everybody talks about. Sure, um, but. You know, that's also experimenting with finished whiskey. So what's what's the, I guess, was, was there a teacher or something that, uh, that of how you learned to get to this point? I, I think I had the entire industry as a teacher. It's really wild. I get an opportunity to talk to the guys that do all this stuff on a regular basis. So if I have questions, it's a matter of who I'm going to ask, not whether or not I can get my question answered. I'm real, really, really fortunate in that regards. I mean, I, I talked to John. I talked to Andrew out there. I talked to Paul. I talked to Eddie. I talked to Dixon. I talked to all the guys in the industry that do this kind of stuff. I, a lot of it, you just kind of have to figure out your own way, though, when it comes to blending. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very difficult to teach somebody that. You kind of have to figure it out. 
do you think you might have pissed some people off the fact that you've got 600 people waiting outside the oh, door for 100%. some some for some blend that <laughs> some guy created in the middle of northern Kentucky? Yeah, it's with his some second, trash cans. His, and, yeah. his second release, and then you've got these master blenders, master distillers, and they're just like, but see, I think products set on the shelf. See, I think a lot of people look at me that way, but I'm looking at the master blenders that way because their products may be sitting on the shelves, but how many pallets of those products are all over the world right now? Mm-hmm. It takes time to sell through all that stuff. These guys are doing it for a living. I was fortunate enough to just do it twice. Right. And just a limited kind of experiment, kind yeah. of get it out there sort of thing. Right? Yeah, it's definitely scary, though. And then to go to your owner of your store and be like, oh, yeah, by the way, I need a, a lot of money for an experiment. Yeah. And they're going to go, you're going to do what? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to tell you what was really great about Saturday. My absolute favorite part about the release Saturday was all the people that don't get a chance to see the pages got a chance to experience the excitement. The owner of the store, it was the first time he'd ever seen anything like that. Mm-hmm. He, didn't, he never went to the other stores for the Pappy campouts. As I was say, no, no Pappy release no, campouts. No, he had either. no idea. And you can sit here and you can tell them, and you try to tell them without seeming big-headed or like you got an ego or anything like that. Listen, this is what's probably going to happen. And the whole time in the back of their head, they're going, yeah, whatever. And then they come in, and his eyes got real big, and he says, Ed, i got to tell you something. He says, I've had a lot of bad days since I've started this. A lot of bad days. He says, but this ain't one of them. And his <laughs> eyes got a little big. And what was really cool is we bought uh, donuts and uh, bagels and coffee for the entire line just because I didn't want a bunch of grouchy people that had been drinking all night you know, oh, in, yeah. in the store and pushing and shoving and that kind of stuff. But it calmed everybody down. And the DJ we had, Brandon came, Brandon Scott Perry came, and he was on the on the mice, and he had everybody cheering and hooping and hollering, and there was a small roar coming out of North, uh, Northern Kentucky, you know? It was shocking. The look on my mom's face, because I kind of asked my mom and dad to come, just, again, they don't ever have a chance to see this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mom was ear-to-ear grin, walking in the door, and she was just glowing. And it's like, I finally got a chance to show you what I've been telling you. Yeah. It makes a difference, man. It it's really. Like, it's like you're you're the you're the Rudy of alcohol. Oh, it's crazy, man. <laughs> I I am the underdog, hundred <laughs> percent. But uh, it's a it's amazing, man. And and some of the opportunities that are going to come out of it are mind blowing. But to like your question was, what's it like for an average Joe? I guess to come in and just do it, it, it was nerve wracking. It was mm-hmm. three weeks of not sleeping. I mean, we we push this to the max. So a lot of people don't know the the whole story behind what happened with this. We had a different package for batch one. The package we ordered was an Italian glass. We ordered the glass in time, eight weeks ahead of time, for the bottles to come in. The problem was is that the lady that we ordered it from was promoted within the company, and no one picked up her slack and actually ordered the bottles. We're talking six weeks out from Italy to get bottles in through customs and into our into mm-hmm. our shop to be able to bottle it down there in Georgetown, the, the actual distillery. And we have the tank full of 200-plus gallon of whiskey that can't stay in that tank for another six or eight weeks. Right. I mean, it'll turn. It, it comes over-oxidized, I, I feel. I want to control the variables. Keep adding more, more 11 year into it. <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> but so I'm in a pickle. So I reached out to Michael Aglamia in uh, California, and he redesigned a new label for us. And I got a hold of Brett Atlas at Riker Container, and he found me bottles on the fly within 24 hours. And we had the corks overnighted, and the wax was overnighted from Canada. Literally, everything came together. I didn't want to wait till next Saturday, or, well, this Saturday coming up, because of St. Patrick's Day. And there was a rumor of other stores that were doing blends, too. I wanted it out. I wanted it out of the tank and in the store, plus the— Everybody was already talking about it. So we got it all in a bottle. And the labels, the dye had to come from St. Louis to cut the labels. So the labels didn't even get here till Thursday, and it's releasing Saturday. And they had to go to the distributor and sit at the distributor's place for 24 hours. And the wax was still coming in. So we put the labels on and the wax on back here on Friday with the line forming out front Saturday yeah. To buy the bottles. <laughs> Talk about pressure, right? Oh, my gosh. The pressure was next level. The stress. Oh my! I mean, I looked like a skeleton. My eyes were sunk back in my head. It was, oh, my goodness. Right. Holy cow. What do you do? You know? But you couldn't wait. And what was what blew me away out of the whole experience was all the customers that came in just to help. They weren't asking for anything. They didn't even ask for a bottle. They just wanted to help and make sure it got done. And when they say it takes a village, it took an entire city to get this 
on the shelf in time. And it went off without a hitch. Everybody in the crowd was happy. They were cheering. Everybody got a bottle. Nobody in crowd got more than two bottles per person. If they got more than that, they had mules. There's nothing I can do about that. Mm -hmm. You know, and I know a lot of the guys are upset with some of the guys that are selling some of the bottles or whatnot. And honestly, you can't control that. no, I'd 100% much rather everybody drink them. Don't get me wrong. But I, I just, it bothers me when I see people that hate on the product because they're mad at people for doing bad things. It's one thing if you've tried it and you don't like it. And if that's the case, cheers to you. Mm -hmm. You tried it. But it's another thing to just blind hate. And I don't think people understand the impact they have on other people's lives by blind hating. Yeah, well, I think um, that's something that is more of a social issue than anything, right? It's I, sad. I think, uh, I mean, don't be wrong. There's, there are, there are people that, I mean, we are, we are selfish, right? Sure, of we're, course. We're not selfish. We are, we are, um, we are, uh, we take for granted living here in Kentucky where pretty much we have disposal of every great bourbon that's going to come out of Kentucky is at some point going to hit a store that's in our region. Now, there is a lot more demand than other places. However, we do have that at our disposal. And, you know, you don't, you don't have a, a package license that allows you to ship nationally, no. right? So you can't blame them because of the state laws. No. Right? Um, and I think that's, that's one thing that, you know, you have to look at. I mean, if, if you're in Texas, I'm sure there's a lot of great distilleries in Texas that put a lot of good stuff out that we don't have access to. Sure. Now, we can have a whole debate in Texas versus Kentucky right, bourbon, right. but we can say that for another day. I, I think um, – I think what you said, I think we could dispel a lot of those things of people getting mad just because they don't have access to it right. is, is really what it comes down yeah. to, right? And I get that 100%. And I get I get the animosity a little bit of wanting to be able to do something, somebody else getting the opportunity to do it. I get it. But I know that a lot of people's livelihoods go into this business. And not, I'm not even talking about me. I'm talking about the Jeffs, the people that work for him, that feel feel the negativity through sales. You may not be happy with the way something went down or worked, but your words have an impact overall. Whether you realize it or not, you may think it's just some secret little group on Facebook. What the heck difference does it make? But there's a lot of people that see that that just kind of keep it to themselves. I think um, the other thing to kind of look at this is that you've got a very um, – you got a fan base that really loves the store. They love anything that you do. You're kind of – Almost King Midas at this point. No, I wouldn't say that. Right, where anything that <laughs> anything. I mean, you think about it, right? I mean, like you kind of put MB rolling on the map a little bit, right? You had a you had a supreme pick out of there that uh, is probably better than some of their other product they pushed out so far. You've got uh, you 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 have a way to be able to almost kind of naturally get people wanting to to like the product, even just because it's you, right? I think that's I think that's one of the elements around it, um, and you know, and having one of the groups that are, it's dedicated to the store. It's dedicated to the products that come out. Um, and not only that is, you know, when old Baldy one was released, it got, it got attention. It got attention it nationally. Got a lot of attention. Yeah. Um, whether it was again, positive and negative, it's yeah. just, that's just the nature of what it is. Um, and so I think that's one thing that you can't, you can't turn away from is the fact that you do have that fan base out there that, that also helps elevate you and helps elevate the store and elevate the brand in itself. Yeah, for sure. And you know, some of the stuff we've done here has really gotten a lot of attention elsewhere, but ultimately it's always been the fans around here. When I started off rebuilding the store, a lot of people don't know when I took over this, the, the departments that I run now, the store was, it was on the way down bad. It had been going through some real rough spots. The shelves were empty. They didn't have a client base anymore. And I kind of saw an opportunity. And I started off just stocking shelves. But the the way that we treated customers from the point that I'd had control over that on was every one of them special. And over those last three years of doing that, it's amazing how many of them feel special because they are. They, they support us. We wouldn't be here without them. So we try to make them feel special. But when we need help, they make us feel special. Mm -hmm. It's amazing how it all comes full circle. It Absolutely. really is. So I kind of want to touch back on a little just on the, the blending, right, of, yeah. of talking about really how this this came to be. So give some advice to some people out there that, that want to try to follow in your footsteps. Like, what's a way in the door? What can they do at home? Like, what is there a way that you can experience? Because yeah. don't get me wrong. Like, this is the weird thing. Like, yeah, sure. You had some, you had some company funding to go and yeah. buy some barrels and mix sure. your stuff together. And it turned out good. 
twice. Oh. You know, twice. There you go. Let's. I probably. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Probably totally be a third kidding. time. Probably a third. Time. <laughs> so I guess the other thing to kind of look at is like if people are buying uh, maybe like Russell's picks, they're buying Buffalo Trace. They're they you name any distillery and they've got you know their high rise. They've got their barrel proof. They got the sure. whatever. Like how can people experiment with this at home? If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon. The farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point of sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. I guess the other thing to kind of look at is like if people are buying uh, maybe like Russell's picks, they're buying Buffalo Trace, they're, they, you name any distillery and they've got, you know, their high rise, they've got their barrel proof, they got the sure. whatever. Like, how can people experiment with this at home? hundred uh, percent start with barrel proof whiskeys because you want that oil, that oil from the barrel proof is important. It's non-chill filtered in most cases. And that, that makes a huge difference in your blending. Secondly, start with products that you already know well, and then break them down. Is the nose strong? Is it solid? Is it kind of what I'm looking for? How about the mid palate? Is it hit me with the spice? Is it sweet? Is it, is it a drier finish? Is it a long sweet finish? Break it all down. Get as detailed as you can on your notes on one specific whiskey and then do it again a few times and then figure out what your notes are telling you. This one's good on the nose. It's good in the mid palate, but the finish is a little dry. But this one had a nice, sweet, dry finish. What happens if I mix a little bit of this? Play small scale. You can blend with one glass. You don't need you don't need barrels to blend at home. But it's more fun when you do. Yeah, but it's also more <laughs> risky. <laughs> so, what are those? Let's let's say I, I'm looking at the 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 bourbon flavor wheel. Right, yeah. you've got sure. oak. You got toasted oak. You move into um, some of the caramels, the toffees, and the coffees, and then you get the fruit and the nuttiness. Sure. What are those elements that you're particularly looking for when you're creating a blend? I'm not. I'm not breaking down the flavors. I'm breaking down the whiskey. I want to know what it's making me feel and what it's doing to my mouth and how how the whole package is. The flavors are the easiest part to get together because whiskey already tastes pretty good. You're right. You can pick a decent barrel. It yeah. Tastes so, good. so pay attention to the small nuances over the flavor. Ignore the flavor to begin with and come back and adjust it as need be. But start with how it makes you feel, how it affects your mouth, where you're feeling what. And if you pay attention to that, it's really amazing how different every whiskey is. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing. So you're not looking for particular notes, right? No, not at all. You're, you're figuring out where that gap is. Yeah. Now, I'm sitting here tasting it. Um, I had the the pre-cut or yep. the um, original portion of it. This was right before it got to filtering. I'm going to try it right here at the very end, too. 
Now, there is one note that you get out of this that uh, most people, they kind of see turned off by it. And that's a little bit of the grainy, a little of the young piece. What, uh, what's your idea of, of putting some of that, that those elements into it? I think it's a whole developed whiskey. I, I don't pick up grain on it as much as I pick up burnt sugar and caramel. And what's crazy is, is that that nose from the burnt sugar and the caramel doesn't translate to finish. It's a drier finish from the oak. Mm-hmm. I I don't pick up a ton of grain on it. I'll take your word for it. I mean, I'm, no, my palate's different than no, yours. No, everybody's different. And you may taste it 100% because you taste different things than I do. I'm looking at the entire thing. I was looking at the nose on it. It's super solid to me. It's super rich, and it's it's constantly developing. Every time you smell it, you smell something different. And that's what I kind of like about the blending portion of it is, is I can make it a little more complex than one single barrel of whiskey mm-hmm. because I can add in the complexity of some other whiskeys. You control every variable. It's amazing. I mean, I guess so. Let's 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 take that into it because we we look at we, we've all picked single barrels before, at least sure. from you and I, and I'm sure a few listeners of the show have as well. And sometimes you think you have a well-rounded, well-balanced, good single barrel. I mean, in your opinion. Could you could you go to Jay Mattingly and find that single barrel and just say, Fine, we're just going to do a single barrel. Like, this is perfect. He, he'll sell you a single barrel, sure. <laughs> I wanted something a little different. I picked yeah. 60 single barrels a year. You know, it's like mm-hmm. – and and with him being young and, and eager, it was much easier to get a little extra special treatment down there. Right. And I think that's what a lot of these guys that pick from major stores miss. I really do. They don't they don't go chasing after the small guys because they don't think anything's there to be the best product. It's gotta come from Buffalo Trace, which they make great products, don't get me wrong. But there's there's gems hiding everywhere. Every Rick house has the ability to produce a honey barrel. Go down and dig for him. Give the little guy a chance. Right. You'd be surprised what they'll allow you to pull off. Yeah, and, but I mean, you know? if we think about it from a consumer standpoint, yeah, sure, a single barrel Buffalo Trace is like twenty eight to thirty dollars, and then sure. you've got something that's uh, from the younger guys or from a smaller place, and it's it's double the price, sure. sometimes not triple, right? Sure. So from a consumer standpoint, it's, it's sometimes it's a little hard to swallow. Of course. I can understand that, too. And there's definitely a ton of guys that don't put out the best stuff, but I don't pick every place I go to pick from. I've turned down 10, uh, 10 places I've actually gone to pick barrels at. I've passed on barrels. you got to do what's right for you and your customers in the store first. But it doesn't mean you don't go sniffing around. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> if so, they'll let me cry around the Rick House, I don't care whose Rick House it right. is. I'm going climbing. You know, <laughs> so so kind of talk about what the difference is that you're doing in blending versus something that is you know the master blender, right? Sure. I, mean, I, so know, those I know guys, I know there's a scale component to this oh. that is that is crazy, right? And um, we've talked about it before on the show of saying it's actually much harder to create. Like if you were to try to make Old Baldy a a line item and it's just like it's not a batch like that's it it has a consistent flavor profile people say that's much much harder to do than it is to actually just create I disagree 100 percent. Yeah. i'd say it's much easier to create a consistent profile than it is one that's off really and the reason i said that is because when they do those type of consistent profiles they're dumping huge quantities of barrels right huge i'm saying on a on a release of a thousand bottles thousand it's bottles. Much, now it's difficult yeah. right uh in a release of ten thousand bottles well, i think you, you've got a little more it, leeway it was all different problems when I did the first batch, it was so easy because the quantities were so small. I ran into problems doing this one that I wasn't expecting. I needed to use more whiskey. So I had no idea how much is in each barrel. I had a guess, but I had real, no real idea to be able to do the blend ratios right at the end. You just take, a, take your phone and put the flashlight in there and be yeah, like, Yeah, because that, that's yeah. super scientific, right? <laughs> so I ran into a problem when I was going down there to blend. And I'm really glad you brought this up because some guys have been hammering me hard on this one on the pages. What do you do? How do you figure out how much whiskey you have in a barrel exactly without dumping it? But once you dump it, how do you keep it separate? Jeff's got a small place down there. Mm-hmm. We're talking 50 gallons of whiskey per barrel. I got six different barrels. I want to see what my ratios are to be able to get a final blend down to know exactly what I'm coming out with. So what do you do? He doesn't have big tanks. He doesn't have small tanks. He's a very small distillery. We went and we actually bought garbage cans from Walmart. Brand new ones, right? Uh, they were brand new. They weren't used, trust me. They didn't have a Wendy's bag in it or anything like BPA that. BPA-free? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I used food-grade sanitizer to clean them again, but even though they hadn't been used, but just to make sure that they were safe to be able to use. They were perfect. Oh, my gosh. A 53-gallon or 50-gallon trash can is going to hold one barrel of whiskey perfect. I could keep it separate so I know what I was working with. And then I could measure exactly what I had to work with on the ratios. 
But yeah, of course, one of those pictures oh, got Ed, out. Oh, I was about to say, I was oh, like, people were start calling a trash can. Oh man, man nonstop. <laughs> and, it, it, and I've been getting it left and right. And my response is always the same, man. That was the greatest solution that problem I could come up with on the time. I'd do it again in a heartbeat. And if that's how it comes out of a trash can, sign me up. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't be wrong. Back in college, we drink a lot yeah. of stuff out of plastic bins. Yeah, so. but I, you know, when you're dealing with guys that are dealing, used to seeing the huge distilleries, they're not used to seeing the, the solutions to the problems that you have dealing small scale. It's a whole other animal it's a whole separate set of problems mm-hmm. it's completely ones you don't think about yeah i mean i remember what was it it was a long time ago when i went i visited limestone branch oh, yeah. and this was i think eight years ago i mean it was a long time ago and we walk in and literally there's the distillate is coming out into a bucket yeah. and there has to be somebody there that has to move the bucket yeah. when the when that bucket gets full right yeah. i, I mean, think steven's still down there doing <laughs> it <laughs> he's such a good dude man i love steven beam <laughs> but yeah he's got he's got a whole different set of problems than they have it like buffalo trace or turkey and i go back to those guys because they're huge distilleries huge in comparison i mean you're talking about places that have you know hundreds of thousands or millions of barrels versus a guy that's got maybe 150 barrels mm-hmm. Not not the same scale. So you got a whole separate set of problems you got to deal with, which means that sometimes you run into problems that with a bigger batch in batch two that you didn't have with batch one, and you got to come up with a solution on the fly. And this whole time has taught me that these guys, they spend all day long solving problems. That's what they do. That's their job. They get paid to solve problems all day long. And it's amazing the different scale of problems that you run into. I was just talking to Paul this morning out of Smooth Ambler, and he was talking about a sump pump being froze over. You, when you buy a distillery, that's not something you think about. Mm-hmm. Those little things, it's so many different problems that all come together. And you, as the person in charge, it's your job to solve problems. Blending's exactly the same way, just a smaller scale. You're solving it, you're controlling the variables, and you're fixing. And that's blending. And if you can do that right, you can come up with some special stuff. Most of the guys that do this large scale when they're blending for the limiteds and whatnot, they're blending a whole different method. This I got to control a whole lot more than they ever had the opportunity what, to. What's that method? What, what's when you say they're 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 You're, blending for a um you know a whatever it is, right? So what's what's that method that you said that's different than yours? Well, you're talking a whole rack of barrels, multiple different racks that they're pulling from a whole center cut of a rick house that holds twenty thousand barrels, where I'm dealing with six barrels that I picked out of fifty or forty six in this case to be able to blend. I'm blending small and trying to get control everything they're blending more large scale it's a whole different animal altogether you have less control over a large scale blend than you do a small one but then again you got different problems to deal with Mm -hmm. large scale is isn't going to have near the changes that one small barrel is going to have in this right so you think they do actually have a little bit easier then because I, i do yeah i do now is there more work that goes into it? hundred percent. You're blending, you know, you hundred times as much you stuff. You take samples from different racks and all well, this other kinds yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and you have to have tanks big enough to blend that. I mean, that itself is a huge expense. Mm-hmm. And they're blending, you know, a thousand gallons of whiskey, a thousand gallon tank could cost the place ten or fifteen grand. It's not cheap. It's really not cheap at all. Maybe more. I don't know. I'm just shooting out guesses. Right. But it's a whole different set of problems. So it may be easier to control. But they still have their own huge set of problems to deal with. I mean, are you looking at taking Ed's Blend brand into newer places of saying like, okay, we'll go try this at another distillery and see what this looks like? You know, you never know what the future holds. I can read between the lines. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. Uh, by the way, if you want me to come blend, uh, reach me at Corkin Bottle. No, it's <laughs> no, it's uh. You know, at this point, I'm just resting and recouping. Well, yeah. Uh, sure. At this point, I, I don't normally pick over the winter. I don't like picking barrels during the winter. It's too hard, and you don't have a lot of control, and they change dramatically from the time you pick them to the time they get bottled. Well, like that, and you go into the Rick house, and you're like, everything tastes better when it's cold. Yeah. Right? That's the other thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it doesn't smell. Uh, you can't smell a thing, but it tastes good. You yeah. Know? It's like, but... So I don't do a lot of picks over the winter. So this is my busy time of year. I got a lot of barrels scheduled to pick, and that's kind of what I'm focused on right now. Mm-hmm. I got to keep. I can't keep a pick in the store at this point. Right. I mean, they're selling out as fast as they come in. We sold uh, a barrel of Russells out in 30 seconds on Saturday. That was kind of just a little bonus. Mm-hmm. Crazy, isn't it? That, well, I mean, <laughs> I mean it's, it's just. And you say you don't have the Midas touch, right? No. Well, you know, <laughs> I had a lot of people at one place at one time and took advantage. Yeah, of Yeah, I guess. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess. So you should figure out next time you do it to be like, yeah. we're just going to put out like nine different single barrels. And well, it was crazy. We sold nine hundred bottles of that Baldy in two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. Nine hundred bottles. 
It's just, and it, it I mean, do you, in the in the scale of things, that is nothing compared to anybody else. But for a little guy that runs a whiskey program and a liquor store, it's. I mean, do you think do you think people are a little a little crazy? Like, I think. What do, you, I, what do you think? I mean, because honestly, like I. I know you're. I, I, I know you're. I know you're proud of it, and I know. No, I know get, that there is, and I get the there animosity. Is, there is the hype. There is there, everything. There is the the FOMO that plays into this. Hundred percent. But but do you think it's a little too much? I th- I think it was the perfect storm. You had a bottle on the first one that got a lot of attention, and it was good. But it had attention, but it sat in the store for what two to three weeks. You have to also remember we released that during Kentucky Bourbon Festival, so everybody yeah. was down picking up an Al Young and getting Drew stuff he was putting out at Willet. Mm-hmm. Everybody from up here was down there. Yeah, it just happened to work out timing. That's when it came. There wasn't anything I could do about it. So it sat for a week, week and a half, two weeks, something like that. And then yeah. then people started trying it. At that point, they'd never heard of it either. You know, they didn't know anything about it. They didn't know if it was good. So once people started trying it and then they started sharing samples with their buddies, a lot of people got to try it. A couple in the fact, the reviews hit, they got favorable reviews. Everything that went into it, I guess whatever the secondary was on it went up. I, I don't pay that's, much attention to it. You're a liar, but that's okay. But yeah, that's, <laughs> so that, <laughs> so when, when you get that kind of bump into it, it gets even more attention. And then you couple in the fact that we were releasing even more bottles. We changed the package. We made it look a little more attractive. I think, honestly, the guys that helped with this knocked it out of the park. And when you, you have all those things together at one time, you end up with the perfect storm. So what ended up happening is we had more people in our lives than bigger stores around us had for their Pappy release. Mm-hmm. That's speaking volumes when you're talking about a private selection and a private label. That There's a lot of people that paid attention to that. Right. And I, of course I'm proud of it. I worked hard on it, but I'm even more happy for the, everybody else that helped out with it because everybody got something that they'll never, ever forget. They got a chance to be part of something special. And these guys online that are all saying, blah, 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 It's how can you do this? A, 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 Jerk off that runs a liquor store. 500 LMGP. What am yeah. I missing, right? They, they yeah. missed everything. Yeah. That's my answer to them. You missed the entire point of everything. You had an entire community that pitched in to help do something special. And you missed it. And if that's the only thing you took out of it was is that some schmuck that runs a liquor department blended something, good. I'm glad you didn't try it. Yeah. I really am because it's not for you. Mm-hmm. It was special. It was special, not not just because of the package and not because it had my name on it. It was special because of everybody that helped make it happen. Right, that was special. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, <laughs> I think, I mean, even greater than that. I mean, it goes, it goes into the community that does focus around the store, right? That it really did. As I said before, it helped elevate it, right? I mean, I think when when Baldy came out, uh, original batch one, there were, uh, I mean. It was it was a slow incline, right? I mean, it's and then all of a sudden had this this little bell curve that kind of happened to it, right? Where I mean, you had you had bottles that were sitting on the table for, like I said, a few weeks. Um, I got to give a shout out to you know somebody that listens to the podcast that actually got a bottle and brought it down to me and gave it to me, yeah. right? And that's that was my my entrance into this, right? Yeah. Um, now with this, like, what's the plan for for the next the next batch? Like, what, what's what's your thought going into it? I always try to stay ahead of the curve. Part of that's kind of keeping a few things close to the hip. Mm-hmm. So I can't say yet, but I will say that it will definitely get some people's attention. And that's it's about, all, it's all you're going to leave us. I, I can't. I can't right at the moment. <laughs> I mean, are you are you looking at at taking it bigger than because this was you know nine hundred thousand bottles, whatever it is? Are you looking at be able to take it greater than that, or you think that's a is that an, is that a good size? I think it's a great size for one store. Yeah. But I think that that's just possibly a first step. Mm-hmm. I think that I think not necessarily old Baldy, but all all sorts of different things are possibilities now. Right. And I think that I think that and one of the messages I got was actually from Prav up in uh, uh Washington DC. Yeah, in DC, yeah. And he he said to me, he said, "Man, you're you're doing things and you're leading the industry and you're changing the industry every day." And I hadn't really thought about that. I, I really hadn't because at this point I was just panicking getting the whiskey out. But it's amazing once you start that first step how how the path gets worn. Mm-hmm. And and maybe somebody else from a different store or somebody from a different group is is able to take it to the next level. And I hope they do because the only thing that happens is we all benefit from it. Yeah, I was about to say, I was like, you've got a great following in, in the, the bourbon community, uh, the bourbon realm. But then how do you how do you expand upon that? Like what what do you have a – 
a thought process or a roadmap of saying, how do I take this more to mass market uh, rather than just, um, you know, the, the 600 people that can line up my store? Like, what's what's the idea of, of going bigger than that to make a name bigger for yourself, too? I think if I was going to do, I, it's tough to say. It's really hard to say. I, I got to see how the pieces all fall together. We should put a business plan together then, right? Yeah, I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> but I, it's hard to say where it's going to go. Who knows? Market could collapse tomorrow and all of us will be out of jobs. Or it could take off and everything on the shelf be cleared out tomorrow. Or it could be somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. You don't know. You kind of have to play it by ear a little bit and see what pieces fall on the opportunities that present themselves. Right. I'm never I'm never close-minded to anything. Uh, you know, there, there's always something, there's always a better way to build a mousetrap, I guess is the yeah, so phrase for it. Good phrase to use. Yeah. So when we think about the, the blends in general, I mean, are you looking at, creating more of them like i said we had, we had talked about talking to other distilleries yeah. and everything like that or do you think this is this is good enough for for now no, of what you're, the the I'm, level of scale and the the amount of um the amount of work that I, went into it the, burn, was the, burn, the burnout that you can take <laughs> no. right yeah i had 6000 pms from all over the world the week before 6 Thousand PMs from all over the world. So the week including before. me, that was five thousand nine hundred ninety nine more. Okay. Let, let that one sink <laughs> in for a minute. That's a full time job. <laughs> you yeah. know? It's like, what do you do? I was averaging a thousand PMs a day. Most people don't even have that many friends on Facebook. Right? I didn't. I didn't know I did. You know, it's amazing. <laughs> but you know, there's obviously a lot of a lot of talk about it right now. We'll see how it does and move forward at that point. I really don't. Honestly, I don't have an easy answer for you because I don't know yet. Well, what's next on? I guess uh, helping to develop your your blending experience, right? Because sure, you you've had you've had you know two uh, two home runs. They've been knocked out of the park. You know you're probably going to start working on the third. But like, what do you, what are you doing to? I mean, because everything is a, a continual education process. Oh, it's a hundred percent. Ninety eight percent of my job is research, and the other two percent is education. Mm-hmm. It's it's constant. And so I'm always trying to get better at what I do. I'm always looking for the next best barrel I've ever tasted. Um, I got a Russell sitting over here you need to try, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but, we'll get to it. Yeah, but it's like you, you don't know what to do. It, it, this job is a lot of flying by the seat of your pants. I've learned that, too. It's like every time you think you got a path or a plan figured out, there's a loophole or a little off-course excursion to go check out or something else falls in your lap. And I'm always open, you know, if if anybody's listening and they got any ideas, I'm all ears. Shoot me a message, you yeah. know, you know, because I mean, when you look at this, I mean, like practice is the name of the game when it, yeah. when it comes to these things. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, is it is it just you're going to be waiting for the next old Baldy or are you going to sit here and like, I like, typically like, like Jeff, man, I'm just going to come down, just grab a few things and just see if I, you know, I'll, we'll do whatever. But, you know, I, I kind of just want to practice in the blending and all this other kind of stuff. Like what what is your. What's your Rocky moment, right? Where you're sitting in the back and you're hitting, <laughs> you're hitting the punching bag, or you're in the back and you're uh, you're hitting like the sides of the 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 cow ribs and or a pig ribs and stuff, and you're just trying to like you know you're trying to just like hone uh, and and really develop this uh, this talent that you started growing out of. It's it's hard, but it's all palette work. You really you just got to stay on top of it, keep trying things, keep trying to break it down, keep trying to understand what it is that's going on and what you're tasting. The more detailed you can get into it, and it takes time to do, but the more detailed you can get into it, the more your abilities are on the back end. Uh, the better you can break down whiskey, the better off you're going to be any other steps down the road. So just take your time and really experience what it is that you're tasting and you're going through and, and the sensations in your mouth and how it leaves you feeling and does it make you want more. And once you can do that good with the products that you're tasting, you can really, really spread your wings and play around with controlling the variables. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. I was like, so towards the end right there, you'd kind of mentioned a good thing for anybody that also wants to try to get into this. Like, do you think, you think trying to play with those, like, if, if you were to start trying to learn of, of how to try to do something like this, do you think the best way to do it is to start looking at single barrels and start yeah. being able to pull apart and really and really break down and analyze them right. at that point? A hundred percent. If the more work you put into developing your palate and understanding what it is that you're tasting, the easier blending is. You have to understand what's going on with the whole sensation of tasting whiskey, starting with the nose and all the way through the finish. And understand what it's doing to your mouth and where you're feeling it and how it's different than other things. And then you have to have kind of a memory bank of things that you've tasted to compare it to. And it's amazing. You'd think that 
it gets harder and harder and harder. But with whiskey, every one of them is so different. I have a pretty crisp memory bank. And a lot of times I'll say, well, this whiskey style reminds me of this whiskey. And a, a lot of the a lot of the ones like Old Bodie, for instance, people would ask me, what do you compare it to? I said, well, style-wise, it, it's very similar to me to what I experienced with Willet. Flavor-wise, it's completely different. That's what I'm saying. That's a, that's a, that's a great way to put it. So, I mean, if, if you yeah. were to... Style wise, yes, you've got old cognac and wax, right? Here right. you go. You got you got well, not got just the that, down. <laughs> but you, you have the pepper note that Willett's known for. Mm-hmm. Willett has a high pepper note. It's usually a little bit on the drier side mm-hmm. on the finish, not dry, but drying. And to me, this whiskey has a great nose. A lot of Willets do. It has that spice characteristic, and it has a slightly drying whiskey. So when I say a Willet style, that's what I'm referring to. It doesn't taste like a Willet. It's not going to taste anything at all like a Willet because, first off, it's not a bourbon. Right. But that style of whiskey is what it reminds me of. So a lot of people hear me compare stuff like uh, they, they heard me talk about the MB Rowan. It reminds me of an ND Old Taylor. It was that style of whiskey more than the flavor. I'm not talking about flavors because every whiskey's different. It's always going to taste different. But there is definitely styles that they they adhere to when you taste them. I guess we'll, we'll start wrapping up a little bit. You know, you just you had mentioned something that I'm sure a lot of people didn't even realize is that it's not technically a bourbon. No, it's a whiskey. It's a blended straight whiskey. Yeah. So wh- why a why go that way? Um, well, B, be, because I mean, when you're when you're a distillery and you're trying to get into the game now, finding barrels is difficult. So it's it's forcing people to be a little creative on what they use. It, it, it is what it is. It's a byproduct of the bourbon boom. Nobody's wanting to sell barrels, so the guys that are sourcing barrels are having to really experiment and branch out. And I think even some of the big boys are. I mean, look at Little Book, mm-hmm. prime example. That's not a bourbon, right? They, yeah. Tasted it before. Thirteen-year corn whiskey that's in yeah. there. Apparently, that fell through the cracks. But thirteen-year yeah. corn, you don't necessarily see anymore. No. But I also think, um, and I'll, I kind of would just get your idea behind this too, because we had the idea or we had the, the conversation before of, you know, when you see blended straight whiskey, it doesn't necessarily have like that that sexy feeling that. Well, that's because everybody does, right? equates blended whiskey to the whiskey that was blended with neutral grain spirits, and I can guarantee you, there's no vodka in this one. <laughs> right. And so, and so, do you think this is one step forward in, in helping to bring blended straight whiskey into a, a better limelight? Well, I hope think- so. I mean, you don't see these type of products, and I was talking about this online. Uh, this is why it's got so people so confused over the whole situation. It, it's is it a private label? Is it, a, is it a private pick? Is it a private blend? It's all of those. It doesn't fit definitively in one category. I just tried to make something I thought was pretty damn good out of what I had to work with. That was it. I wanted something that was better than, than what I started with as an end result. I'm not shooting for the moon. I'm not trying to create you know the next uh, best thing ever released. I'm just trying to do something better than what was already available. Mm-hmm. And by taking those steps, it's the same with the private barrel. When I pick a private barrel, I'm not out there looking for the next greatest thing ever taste. I'm looking for something that's better and drinks well than what they normally offer. And I think the same thing held true with this. And I think that's why people are so confused because they don't know how to classify it. Is it a limited? Is it a private label? Is it a private blend? Is it a private pick? What the hell is it? <laughs> all we know at this point, it's not a bourbon. It's not a bourbon. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's pretty good. And I think we were pretty uh, pretty honest on our disclosure on the back on what uh, what we did with it. And uh, I think that people are starting to taste it now. And I think the reviews are coming soon. And I think they're pretty favorable so far. So well, good. I think last last question we'll kind of wrap this up with is, do you think you think whiskey needs a shake, shake up like this? Does bourbon need the shake up where – it's not just bourbon that's becoming a uh, the thing that people got to get their hands on. Now it's now it's starting to enter different classifications of whiskey categories. I don't think bourbon needed a shakeup. I think it's already getting that with the boom that's going on. But I think it just highlights some of the other products that are available on the upper scale side that are available to try and taste and maybe a change of pace for if nothing else. It's fantastic and, and that level. But if you go into it thinking you're drinking a bourbon, you're going to be disappointed. It doesn't taste like bourbon. Well, it's that. I mean, it's just also one of those things that you line it up next to a few bourbons and it's yeah. It gives you that that different palate. It yeah. gives you a different mouthfeel. It gives you everything yeah. really that that comes with it, right? Yeah. Um, and not only that, you you barrel this at or bottle this at what proof? One twelve. One twelve. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I guess next to last question is yeah. why one twelve? Was that the barrel proof version, yeah. or it was, was that just the barrel proof version? That was the that was the highest proof of the lowest barrel, or, or the 
It was all together. Well, when you, proof of the whatever. Well, how many so barrels. what happens is after you blend them, you take a proof, and that's what it is. Yeah. So I mean, it's just like bourbon in that regards. Mm-hmm. You know, it is what the end result is. Um, I don't really have much control over the proof other than what I'm working with, and that was the barrels that just happened to be there at the time that were worth working with. Well, you can you so, can proof it down. That's about yeah. all you can do, right? Yeah. Yeah. You can't proof it up. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Although I don't. Well, I guess you could with the vodka. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It is blended straight, right? <laughs> so Ed, I want to say thanks again for coming on. This was a, this is a good conversation, right? I think we we touched on a lot of the good subjects just about blending in general of how people can get started. Really, the the path and the journey that you took of of you know, of course, you've got a lot of a lot of good experience picking single barrels, and now you're kind of venturing on to whatever that next stage is. Yeah. And I think it's it's really cool to kind of see this happen. Uh, I think it's really good to highlight the community that really helped uh, put this on a rocket ship. It's I mean, crazy. I mean, uh, and I know you're trying to wrap up, but man, I, I just want to thank everybody again and again and again that pitched in to help to make it happen. It it, it brings a tear to my eye. I'm not going to lie. I mean, the people that gave selfishly on this, and the list is way too long to name all of them, but seriously, everyone that helped, thank you very, very much. Well, see, it, it, no good deed goes unpunished, though, so he's <laughs> going to have you help here. You're going to be waxing bottles here right. for quality <laughs> three. That's right. Hopefully not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, Ed, if, if – as always, if people want to get in contact with you, uh, how do they do it? Um, they can reach me at e.bly, B-L-E-Y, at cork, the letter N, bottle.com. Or they can stop up and see us here at Cork and Bottle in Northern Kentucky at 584 Buttermilk Pike in Crescent Springs, 41017. See, that's how you can find it here. You can always come by. You can look at their huge array of bourbon on the wall. And then, uh, you know, give them the secret handshake and see what they got in the back. <laughs> uh, but make sure you follow Ed. Make sure you, uh, you know, you check out a, a lot of the things that he's doing. It's, it's very interesting, uh, especially for the, you know, what's what's happening right now in the bourbon world. It's a it's an it's an interesting thing to really see because it brings a different dynamic than what we're actually pretty used to. So make sure you follow him. Follow us as well, Bourbon Pursuit, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you like what you hear, make sure you're supporting the show on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Bourbon Pursuit. We push all our new episodes out through there first, so you get the opportunity to be able to watch it live, sometimes if we're doing through Hangouts. Um, but then, you know, there's other times we also have the ability for you to get cool swag. We've got bottle totes, we've got patches, we've got T-shirts, um, and a few other things that I can't really mention on the air right now, but I want you to go ahead and just go and check it out. And if you have any other show suggestions, people you want to hear from, uh, topics you want to see, uh, hate mail, fan mail, whatever it is, send it to the duo at bourbonpursuit.com. And if you want to have every new episode beamed to your inbox every single week, you can go to bourbonpursuit.com and scroll down, find the newsletter subscribe button. And from there, you can take it. You know, I'm pretty sure you know how to subscribe to a newsletter because everybody's got one nowadays. But with that, Ed, I want to say thank you again for joining today. Thank was, you. It was a real pleasure. And we'll see you all next week. See you.